Welcome back to another episode of the Launch Day Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Svetkoski, a.k.a. Who Dean. Today in studio, we have P.K. Gupta. Did I pronounce that right, P.K.? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Fair, is it, what's the actual pronunciation? Well, I don't think there is one, to be honest. I grew up, some people said Gupta, some people said Gupta, so 50-50. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Too good. Too good. I love the sort of casual attitude about this as well. That's awesome, man. So we've got PK Gupta in the in the studio. Look, you know, I'm going to pretend like I know nothing about you, PK. Take it away. Let our listeners know what you do. All right. So like professionally, you know, com- commercial or business-wise, what I do is I have Australia's only educational online course in real estate that's completely independent. Doesn't sell you a property, doesn't have any upsell, doesn't get you a house in land package, doesn't get you an off-the-plan apartment. Is education for education's sake using data. So that's in a nutshell. Yeah, I love it, man. So, so basically you help uh, you know, want-to-be property investors you help them get into the property industry. Is that right? So creating wealth through property. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like new or experienced people that might have heard other people make money in property. They might be in Sydney. They might be in Melbourne and they're like, you know, like, I don't know. I don't want to work till I'm 65, 70, you know, a little cliche stuff. And property in Australia, at least, has a real um, has a real potential to allow people to exit the rat race, not in two years, not in five years, maybe not even in 10 years, but like in 10 to 20 years, it's possible, it's practical, it's, it can happen for the average person. So that's really who my clients are. And they're people who want to learn. They, they don't want to be given a fish. They want to be taught how to fish along with someone who's done it before. And they want to use data like they everyone's an expert in property, right? In Australia, they don't just want another guru, aka me or another million or 25 million. They actually want to learn data, the cold hard facts and, and how to do it properly. Yeah, I get it. No, I love that. So look, this podcast is about wealth creation. It's about starting a business. It's about, you know, things of that nature. I mean, how, how would you say that with what you do, that could fit into the picture for those individuals that, you know, want to create wealth. Because look, anyone wanting to start a business, right? I mean, there's, me- there's many methods to, to creating wealth. And there's many people in different walks of life, different stages of where they are in their life. How would you say that someone who's listening would be able to, you know, benefit from, from property instead of saying, oh yeah, I've got, you know, $200,000, I want to start a business. How could they effectively, you know, maybe perhaps invest in property? How beneficial would that be compared to, say, for example, investing in a business? 
Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, I'm I'm going to try answer it from the perspective of I used to be an investment banker and I also used to be a management consultant. So I, I have some experience trading stocks, which is also a wealth creation tool. And I have some experience in going into companies, small and large, and improving them, improving the management, improving the cost structure, changing the revenue models to then, you know, make money in a business way, you know, then sell it for, for a profit. And obviously what I do at the moment is real estate. So I, I feel that in my own humble way, I kind of have a good um, lens on, on different ways to make money. And in terms of property, it's not just investing in property. Property is actually a business. You know, like if you invest in a property, two properties, three properties, four properties, that is actually a business. It has a PL statement, it has a balance sheet. You need startup capital, there's risks involved. You need a team around you, like conveyancer, mortgage broker, et cetera, to do a lot of the things that you you know, can't do yourself, just like a business. You're the CEO, that's like a glamorous title, but you know that there's people much more skilled that you, than you that you hire to get the business going, to get the business improving. So in terms of like property as an avenue to create wealth, Honestly speaking, one of the downsides is that you need some cash to start with, whereas an online business these days, right, like Shopify or so many instances or examples, you know, you almost need no cash, maybe a thousand bucks, I don't know, um, something like that, and you can get going, you can start and scale it to the moon. With, with real estate, you do need about $50,000, but the difference, between, at least myself and my clients, the difference between thinking about starting a real estate business versus starting a, an online or e-commerce or a traditional bricks and mortar business is that real estate can be done on the side. So like most of my clients and even myself when I started, you know, we start with a nine to five job and we're like, oh gosh, <laughs> we're not maybe that entrepreneurial, that risk appetite may not be there to be like, okay, let's shut this nine to five off. Let's go all in on a business and you know, hopefully we're the next Mark Zuckerberg. Real estate is like where you do a little bit tinker on the side and you build passive income. You build and it goes higher and higher and higher provided you know what you're doing. And there comes a point at which you can say, look, that passive income is actually more than my active income, my nine to five, and I can switch entirely. Or you might say my passive income isn't quite as much as my nine to five, but I've dipped my toes into the real estate waters. Now I want to do more active strategies. I want to flip, I want to do developments, and then the sky's the limit. And then I can leave my nine to five. So active versus passive, different real estate strategies. But the key thing is you can start it regardless of whether you're still in a nine to five or you have a business. It's just something on the side. And it, it doesn't require too much, 50,000, but it just requires something, if you know what I mean. Yeah, gotcha. And look, is this something that, you know, Look, are you going to make money from it straight away or, you know, like say I had $200,000 to spend, you know, and then, you know, through the data and the online course that you provide, I'm like, yes, yeah, sweet. I'm going to go buy property. Um, and then I go and buy that property. I, I rent it out. Um, what, would I benefit from it straight away? Like, will I be able to start supplementing my income straight away from something like this? Or, or is this like a long-term game that we're playing here? So the answer is both yes and no, but you know, you see a lot of ads on YouTube and Facebook and especially in America, I'd say like real estate, all this, um, 
But honestly, it's a long-term game. Yes, you can supplement your income. You can start making passive income straight away, but it's not going to be of the order of magnitude of six figures. It's maybe not even going to be $50,000. That takes, like I said before, five years, 10 years, 15 years to get to. So it's not the kind of thing where you'd say, all right, all my chips are now in real estate and you know I've got a couple of young kids and I've got a wife to support this is what I'm doing like don't do that guys like yes you can do it like I said before you can start flipping strategy you can start developing um, property buy land put three townhouses on sell it in two years you might make two three hundred thousand dollars but like there's a lot of work there's a lot of education there's a lot of risk to get to that $300,000. So unlike business where you can create a product or service and start monetizing it straight away, start living off it in real estate, that living off it comes, you know, more like five, 10, 15 years down the road, but then it's entirely passive. Unlike a business or most businesses, at least where you're still active, right? Even mm. if you're the CEO, you're still having to like pull the strings. You've still got that headache of managing the team. Real estate is entirely passive. So that's kind of some of the pros and cons. Would you, would you say that someone who's like starting a business now, do you think it's a, it would be a good idea for them to, you know, build their own financial position and then like, is this like, is property investing something that you could also do part time? Like, like how, look, all right, I'll rephrase the question. How much time does it actually take if you were an active property investor and you wanted to start? How much time per week do you need to allocate to A, learn from someone like you and, and your online course that you're running and B, uh, you know, purchasing property and building your portfolio? I mean, what, how much time is invested into that on a weekly basis? So if we like box up different real estate strategies into something that is more passive versus more active. Passive is where you just buy a property, let it do its thing, collect the rent, it goes up in value, then buy another one, then buy another one. Like that honestly takes the process of buying will take maybe three to four hours a week over a couple of months. And then the process of managing that property on a yearly basis is like three or four hours a year. Like, oh, wow. Speaking. That's, that's, okay. So wow. it's just, there's nothing. Right? Yeah, gotcha. um, now the other box where you're actively, you know, flipping. So you're buying properties, you're renovating them, then you're selling them for a profit or you're buying land or an old home, you're renovating it, subdividing it, building a couple of townhouses and then selling it. Or, you know, there's unlimited different nuances or variations. That's a part-time job. All right. That can be, from 20 hours a week all the way up to 80 hours a week. So it wow. goes from part-time to more than full-time. That is like where the big money's at, but then you also need big money to start, the risk appetite, the know-how. So yes, you can leave your nine-to-five just like that um, and do an active strategy, but you, you got to like, you got to dig your heels in and you're in for the long haul. I'm interested, right, with, with all of this, and especially with you, you know, you're an investment banker, you've come from, you know, that certain walk of life. How, I mean, what was the turning point for you? How did you start getting into property? And, you know, how long was it before you're like, nah, fuck this, I want full freedom, and I want to just enjoy my time? Like, at what point was that transition? So take me through the journey, start to finish. Yeah, you know, Dean, like, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, like, when I was maybe 11 or 12, like my school, high school um, 
or high school was at 13 intermediate school in New Zealand we had like these apple computers like the big oh apple those computers. those big huts right like they had that they kind of looked like the the end of like a rocket engine or something you know yeah, like, those, like yeah. blue and but it was like state of the art at the time and like google was like i guess taking off like we started googling stuff and like, you know, all of my friends were Googling about video games and stuff. And like, I'm a second generation immigrant. So my parents had all the hard work um, going to New Zealand from India. So like, you know, very humble beginnings. I literally came to the country with nothing. So what I was Googling was like, what job pays the most? Like salaries, entry, grad level salaries. This was when I was 11 and 12, right? And so like, I found out just through Google <laughs> that the best job that you could get was an investment banker. Everyone talks about accountants, doctors, astronauts, blah, blah, blah. But Google told me at that time that you could make six figures straight out of university as an investment banker. So like, you know, I was into math. I was relatively studious. I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. So I literally worked my butt off every day, every week, every school term, every year, then all the way through uni to become an investment banker. And just to give you context, like, you know, investment banks don't just take anyone, right? And and they're very unique environments. It's not it's like, like it's not like the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, they got random people they're calling up on the phone, that kind of a thing. No, no, no. no. Right. <laughs> so like of um of the I think it was the person my boss at the time you know, I went for an interview and I got a call and I was walking across the Sydney Harbour Bridge just because I was there. And he's like, there was 1,700 applicants and we gave three roles and one of them is to you for a grad role. Wow. This was at JP Morgan. So I was like over the moon because this was like, you know, nine years, no, not nine years, seven years in the making, seven, eight years in the making. So I was like, this is the best thing. And, and there's a reason why I'm giving you all this context. So like, this was like the pinnacle and I was making six figures out of uni, you know, like, Six figures out of uni is like a big thing, right? Absolutely, it's massive. <laughs> At least for me anyway. It was more than my dad earned. So it was like, this is tremendous. My mum's making like less than half as a machinist sewing curtains. So for me, this was like a game changer for our family. So I did that. And then six months in, I was like, okay, I'm kind of having fun, but I'm making the six-figure salary working 90 hours a week and I see my boss and he's miserable and I see my boss's boss who just had a baby girl, her second baby girl, and he voluntarily chose not to be at the hospital with his wife because he was at work. He was, wow. you know, he was on a million bucks, but he was working because that's what it took. So I was like, okay, my career projection at an investment bank is a million bucks a year, but it's not like it's decoupled from effort. Like I'm going to have to work a hundred hours a, a week, every week, you know, to get that million bucks. And at that time I was, I will be honest, I was very materialistic. I was driven by money. I didn't really understand broader principles in life. And so six months in, I was like, you know what? Like everything that I've strived for during my intermediate, my high school, my university days, like, this is a massive fake out. Like, my, I didn't even see my girlfriend at the time because there was just no time. You know, they would send a car on the weekend to your house and, you know, to my apartment and to come back into the office. It was ridiculous. Wow. So six months in, I was like, there's got to be a different way. I knew stocks, right? I mean, everyone who thinks that you can get rich on stocks, yes, you can. And I knew more than anyone because I was on the inside at JP Morgan trading oil and gas stocks. But I was like, there's no way that I can retire through stock trading in the foreseeable future. There's just no way. Like you need a million bucks 
to start playing with big money to be able to retire. If you start with twenty, thirty thousand dollars in stocks, you make fifty percent return on investment in a year. And you're sort of really looking at like the sacrifice, right? So you know, c- comparing the sacrifice with the benefit and going, well, what am I sacrificing for the reward? Yeah. You know, and I get and that. even the reward wasn't like it wasn't even like that that amazing, right? So then I turned to real estate. And I, I don't have any history of real estate in my family. My dad was dead against me going into this. And I was like, all right, well, I've heard people buy multiple properties and just live off the passive income. It seems that passive income, even if it's just 100, 200K a year, is more valuable than a million dollars of active income. Because in the active income, like you said, you're sacrificing something, your time. You ask Bill Gates and he'd give you $200 million or $200 billion if he could just have five of his years back, right? Time is more important than money. So I went into real estate because I realized that, you know, you cannot achieve that in the stock market. Yes, you can live off dividends, but by the time you accrue that much dividend payout, you're going to be 50 years old anyway, right? So the real estate market was my avenue to like get out of corporate. I still worked, you know, for another almost 10 years because like I said before, it takes 5, 10, 15 years to exit on a reasonable passive income. But then I did and that was the beauty about it. That's awesome, man. That is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, in all honesty, like I was I was seriously, I was just having this conversation with my girlfriend yesterday um, and the the entire conversation was around the fact that, you know, we we're talking about putting in the effort, the work, the energy, the time, um, making those sacrifices. And she was like, oh, yeah, but like, listen, you know, but if, if you're doing all of that, but neglecting the relationship, family, things like that, then you know, I'm going to leave your ass. Like, that's basically what she said, right? <laughs> right. And, and that was like part of what I said, too. And I said, yeah, well, that, that, the one thing that, you know, seems to be, my number one value is family. So I'll I'll always like, I'll make sacrifices to the benefit of family. So obviously me being someone who is putting myself out there, constantly challenging myself, you know, the, the fruits of my labor will trickle down to, you know, to, to everyone around me. Uh, But at the same time, I also recognize when you need to be present and recognize when you need to be uh, putting effort, time and energy. And, you know, when you get stuck in that, that position of just chasing your tail for money, uh, it becomes a bit like a rat race, you know what I mean? And you, you kind of lose sight of where you're going and you, you tend to start losing things uh, that are important to you, especially family, because you get so absorbed in chasing and chasing and chasing that you forget about what's truly important. And, and you know, as the, as the saying always goes, right, what we have in life is always borrowed. And when we die, we give it back. So really what's important is it the money because that just disappears when we die. Or, or is it the memories that we're able to make? Now, exactly. that being said, I also recognize that money is a gateway to freedom, to be more present, to spend more time. So whilst money in my eyes is like the root of all evil, um, you know, well, you know, to some degree, the, at the same time, I do recognize that it's a paramount factor into being able to spend your time and create experiences. It's not the most important thing, but it is required. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, you've hit, you hit the nail on the head. And like, honestly speaking, 
um, I didn't have this mindset when I was hustling and maybe a lot of your audience as well, like they're entrepreneurs, they're like hustling, money is their North Star. And, and that was it for me as well, because I didn't have any before. If you don't have something, it's like you, you believe that that's the panacea to all your problems. And then when I started having it, I sort of realized that actually it's not bringing any more happiness. Like it mm. requires a level of introspection to say, all right, before I was earning X, now I'm earning X plus Y and not working, but I'm actually not any happier. And I, when that kind of hit home for me, I was like, I wonder if other people feel like this. And I'm part of this like mentoring community. And there was a guy who, um, who has a, a business in that mentoring community. And he wrote a post one time on the Facebook group. He was like, guys, you know, now I'm making a million dollars a month. Um, you know, in my business, I spend three or four hours uh, a week. This is not me. This is that guy. I'm quoting him. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if this is all there is to life and I'm considering giving it all up and, you know, like giving it all away and just going back and finding a normal job in an office just so I can find meaning again, just so I can find connection with people. So it's like this guy, he was based in the US. And I was, I was reading that, I was like, I'm not quite at that position, but like if that is an avenue that could be where I find myself in, then I need to like pivot. I need to shift how I live life because otherwise you lose meaning and you just get into this hedonistic lifestyle of, all right, I used to be happy with a Toyota, now I need an Audi. And then five minutes into owning an Audi, it's like it becomes the new norm. And now I need, you know, <laughs> the next thing up. And next thing, you're not even happy with the Lamborghini. And I found that for myself, it's not the objects of the senses that I was enjoying. It was just the idea of enjoying them that I was enjoying. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's the idea of enjoying something that I was enjoying, but that idea it evaporates, it, it, it just, it goes into nothingness as soon as you get something. Cause you're like, the actual matter didn't bring me any happiness at all. So the, the reason I'm saying all this is like, I, I completely agree. And I'm kind of at this stage of my life now where, like you said, again, you get the freedom, you know, the money was important, you get the freedom, but now it's what you do with it. And you can either, money is the root of all evil. I, I believe that it's money is just energy and what you do with it means are you using it in an evil purpose or in a good purpose? And so, and and it has to be satisfying. It's not that you just give it away to charity, although that's good. But does that bring you satisfaction, or is it actually using your arms and legs and helping people, like physically going to Africa or going to India? Is that giving you happiness? Everyone's different. You got to find what actually brings you happiness. But it's definitely not money. <laughs> I get you, man. Do you think that, like, you know, material things like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Bugattis and all these things, right? Uh, wearing a Rolex watch, you know what I mean? Do, do you think these material things? contribute to potentially the drive for success because it's it's interesting what what you said right because you're like oh you know you, there's this it was the idea of having them that you were happy with right so you're you're finding pleasure through thinking about the idea of having it and then you get there and then it's kind of like this empty space and and i get that like in my eyes like based on what you said though is that no matter the circumstances of where you are even if you have made it to the point where you can buy Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Bugattis, right? 
you can still make that change in your mindset as to to what's important, you know, the material objects. But if you're enjoying yourself through the process, do you think that potentially uh, indulging yourself in those materialistic items is a way of sort of continuing? Because you get to the, let's just say, let's start with a Lotus because that's like a $120,000 car. You, you, you buy yourself a Lotus um, and then you get the Lotus and you're driving it around and like, oh, well, now I want a Lamborghini. It's another 120000 on top of that. And so then, all right, now it's $240,000 for the Lamborghini. And then you, you sort of take steps towards those positions and then you're, you're therefore being more hungry to, to grow your wealth. Do you think it's a motivator, like despite the lack of importance that they actually truly have in life itself? Do you think it's also a way that, that for some people it may be a motivator to, to keep on achieving without neglecting the, fa- the fact that they should be present and spending time with family? Yeah, um, I think if you can do both, then there's nothing wrong. Like if you're putting a signpost and saying, I want to get to that signpost and you get there and that helps you catapult to your next signpost and next signpost, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, that is what makes them the world go around, right? Money makes the world go around. Achievement makes the, the world go around. But if you're when you get to that signpost, if you're not enjoying that signpost, but you're still living in the future, then no, no matter how many signposts you achieve, if you're always living in the future, achieving or trying to achieve something more, you'll never be in the present. And you'll never actually enjoy that signpost, that car that you actually got to. And I think that was sort of my predicament where, you know, like we're getting nicer things. It's just even like a very simple, like forget Lamborghinis. I don't have a Lamborghini, but like <laughs> sure. even very like simple things like going to Woolies. Yeah. Right. Like back when I was um, in university where I'd go shopping, I'd be like, oh, let's try to keep this under $15, $20. Right. Yeah. Like that was kind of my, my mindset and it was required. And, you know, then fast forward now I'm like, go to Woolies. It's like, I don't, don't even look at the price tag. Right. And I'm not saying this from a boastful perspective, but like, it's those things that have allowed freedom in my life. It's not the car. It's not the singular material object. It's the lack of stress, the lack of anxiety, the lack of having to worry about everyday things so that you can elevate your consciousness and think about things that are more extraordinary. That's what I was going to say, I mean. right, is, 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 is you hit the nail on the head. Was I was going to say walking into Woolworths or even a restaurant for that matter and you're looking at the price – and it, it creates a level of stress and anxiety because you know that when you walk in, you have a list of things to get, but you also have to keep it under budget. And then you're just like, oh man, do I need to start taking things out of it? Or do I blow the budget? Um, and then you have to think about all of those things, right? Um, thinking about all of those things just creates so much anxiety. Uh, and, and you want to kind of live a life where you're sort of anxious free, where you're stress free, uh, you can just sort of go walk about the ground that you're walking on and, and being able to worship it yourself, not not other people, but you to be able to say, yes, wow, I'm so grateful, but you know, I, I don't have to think too hard about what I'm doing. I had this experience when I was, was around this time in, in Thailand last year. And I was like, I was just kind of, you know, walking around and looked at uh, my now ex-partner and I said, oh, so do you want a necklace? I know you've always wanted like a, like a proper pure gold necklace, you know, very Thai traditional because she's Thai as well. And I'm like, do you want one? 22 carats. Yeah, yeah. And look, I, I could get that's a little bit more luxury than, than a restaurant or groceries. But I was like, 
yeah, sure. No worries, you know, and, and it was just the kind of mindset that I had was like, I know this isn't going to break the bank, um, regardless of the circumstances. It was going into the restaurants and indulging myself. And like, I love indulging in, in experiences, especially with food uh, or travel and things like that as well. Um, we, we took three private boat trips. So we paid for the entire boat rather than going on with all these other people. There was no time limits. We didn't have to run around on a schedule. Um, you know, so we could go to any Island that we said, if we said we wanted to go to James Bond Island, that's where the captain went, you know? And then mm -hmm. if we wanted to spend an hour there, we could spend an hour there. If we wanted to spend four hours there, we could spend four hours there. Uh, so like it, it was, it was the ability to, to obtain, and you know what, those experiences I'm going to take with me because I have, look, I have been on holidays on a budget and then constantly thinking about how much I'm spending and then going on the tours with everyone else and then not really being able to immerse myself in the experience because there wasn't enough time. So to be able yeah. to have the wealth to, to freely do those things without the stress and anxiety of, of checking your balance, uh, like the, I, I full and wholeheartedly support the idea of that. So I understand where you're coming from too. Mine just happens to include a few more material objects you know what i mean no, I, I think <laughs> so. we're, on the, we're totally on the same wavelength and um i feel some people are different as well and 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 we got to honor that like um i spoil my son he's four years old and you know i kind of buy him almost anything he wants which is actually really bad parenting uh, so he's got like a whole room of like toys and i i noticed that he was like not spending that much time with like each and every toy. He was kind of just skimming and, and going around. And, you know, my mom was there, my mom was over. And she was like, you know, when you were little, like we used to get you one toy, like, you know, in six months, cause that was the, that was the budget. And she said, but you know what? Like you used to savor that toy, even if it was just a modest, humble little thing, you used to play with it, you used to play with it until it got broken, then you'd have to glue it together. And, and you'd, you'd love that toy for like six months. And so like, in terms of what you're saying, like we're these types of people who we love experiences, indulge, not have to think. But what do you think? I always also think there's a, there's a beauty in, um, not scarcity, but there's a beauty in savoring just a single item, even if it's something that everyone already has. But if you can be present as a boy, as an adolescent, as an adult in your relationships, if you can savor that, if you can enjoy that, then there's something very special about it, right? It's like these days we don't have like a favorite thing. We have like a million things we couldn't live without. But I remember yeah. like 20 years ago, it was just like, if I just have this one thing for me, it was like this little bouncy ball that I loved. If I just have that bouncy ball, I just like, I can live life happily. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, I get you, man. And look, you know, I, I, I was really thinking about this before, right? Um, especially with my daughters, I've got two, you know, and they're, they're four and seven. Uh, so, you know, with, with their ages as well, you know, I started realizing, oh yeah, the iPad broke. I went and bought another iPad. And then it like, I think from that moment when I just handed her this brand new iPad, I'm like, all right, sure. It was 500 bucks, you know, um, it wasn't like one of those fancy iPad pros or anything like that. It was just a standard $500 iPad, but I kind of sat there and went, she just got that so easy. When I was a kid, man, I had to wait till Christmas to even get a bloody PlayStation game, not the PlayStation, the actual, just the game. Right. So I, I would ask for a game that was released in July. And I'd be waiting till Christmas until I got it when I was her age. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so I actually started to adopt a new attitude where 
it's hard to, especially with society nowadays and all of their friends having all of these material things, but I started to reward as the action, uh, sorry, as an outcome of an action. So I decided to, I suppose, you know, in what traditional ways would put it is gamify it or, or create it more in a sense of achieve this goal and get this item. If something broke, I wouldn't immediately replace it. I would first say, well, look, this is broken now, but hey, look, you know, how about we keep your room clean a little bit more often? Um, how about we, you know, focus on doing homework and things like that? Um, not, not that at her age she has homework yet, but getting her to do those sort of activities, those extracurricular activities to encourage her learning. And it was more complete these tasks, achieve these goals, then be rewarded because I didn't want to just hand it to her so easily. And that for me, it's been a really big change because now, like for example, like my daughter loves playing things like Ro uh, Roblox, right? Roblox, Roblox, whatever you call it, right? It's really popular um, for, for these young kids. And she asks me to buy Robux so she can decorate her character and things like that. Now, for me, I'm like, mm, I don't really want to be paying money into a game that's, you know, <laughs> like I remember games used to be buy it once and it was yours forever. Now it's keep, yeah. <laughs> keep paying to play, right? And so I like, I don't like the idea of it, but it is something for her that she wants. And so, you know, it's kind of like the same thing for saving for a house. It's the same thing, you know, it's, it's that incremental uh, you know, indulgence or, or reward that you work towards. And it's the same thing for her. Now she knows straight away before she even comes to me and asks to have Robux purchased on her iPad to play Roblox, right? Now she will go and do certain things first. So she comes up to me and asks for it. And I go, oh, okay, well, did you clean your room? Yes. Oh, did you do the dish? Did you put all the dishes away? Yes. Did you do this? Yes. Did you do that? What? You never asked me to do that before. Yeah, well, I'm asking you now because you said yes to everything else. Go do that and then and then we'll think about it, right? So, um, you know, that that's kind of been my strategy. And it has been working well because I'm trying to... And look, I'm not the world's best with, with finances. It's not my specialty, uh, obviously in contrast to yourself. But, you know, I, I am kind of looking at ways to incorporate a different strategy so that way those older traditional values that you and I grew up with aren't lost in between the lines. Because I, I definitely exactly like you, I spoil them to bits. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'd be curious to hear from you because you're an entrepreneur, Dean, you're, you have a business, like you said at the start, you're out there on social media. Um, do you try to instill values like entrepreneurship or taking risks or business mindset versus the employee mindset um, do you try to teach them and if so like how how do you do that? I'm I know we're in on an interview but I'm just genuinely yeah. interested as a I thought I was the guy asking the questions <laughs> no I, I totally get that I mean you know and that's I find it interesting that you ask are you asking because you'd, you'd like to maybe do that for your son as well or yeah totally because that's my fear right like because maybe yourself, but definitely me, you know, I, I hustled to get to where, where I am. 
but these guys aren't having they're never going to have to hustle yeah. so what are they missing out on because they've never had to actually will never will have to work hard third generational wealth right that's what it's called you got your first generational wealth that's your parents they migrated they they had nothing and built a home uh, second generational wealth where you're becoming the wealth creator um, and then you know your third which is the recipient of of all benefits to the point where you start and there is there's plenty of videos on youtube and TikTok right now that you know are sort of saying like hey you know these third generational wealth kids they wouldn't know what hard work is and then by the fourth yeah. generation they're starting all over again because the ones in the third generation spend it all <laughs> right yeah. um so yeah look i get the question and you know with especially with me i do encourage entrepreneurship i encourage entrepreneurship in a number of different ways and they they come from all different aspects so for example i'm very open with my daughter about money and obviously i don't tell her the whole story and how much is in the bank but she'll she'll actually now uh, since we started doing that exercise i start talking to her about the cost of things and i start talking to her about the cost for me to do business and she will ask me oh how much money did you make today every day after school, daddy, daddy, how much money did you make today? And I'll tell her the number. And like, let's just say hypothetic, hypothetically, I'll be like, oh, daddy made $5,000. And then she'll go, oh, wow, does that mean we can buy a trampoline? A trampoline's only $1,000. And I go, no, no, but sweetheart, daddy has to pay the software developer $2,000. Daddy has to pay this person. And then we're left with 1,500. And then she'll go, oh yeah, but you know, then you can still buy the trampoline. And then I go, no, 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 sweetheart, because the $1,500 750 of that has to go to our, our rent. I'm renting at the moment because of the separation. Um, you know, rent, rent vesting is the plan, right? So, uh, especially the, with the current market in Sydney, for sure. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, that, but I was teaching her those financial values where I, you know, I lacked a lot, which has now taken a higher interest in mathematics for her as well. Uh, but it's also showing her that working smarter is better than working harder. So I'll always let her make her own mistakes. I'll always show her a faster way to do it. And then I'll also show her that sometimes you can just pay other people to do it when it gets too hard because we'd rather be at the beach. But mm -hmm. I actually <laughs> explain those things to her very specifically. So she'll do it. Mm -hmm. And then I'll ask, how long did that take you? And then, oh yeah, like two hours. And then I'll be like, yeah, it took you two hours to do that. And then, you know, wouldn't you rather be doing something else? But it, the, the idea of hustle, yes, the, the, the grind is important, but I also still believe like working smarter and not harder is just as important. You kind of have to look at a lot of different sort of things. And I, I also go through, and it's the same thing. It all comes down to money at the end of the day too. We do things like, uh, you know, arts and crafts. And then I tell her, why don't you try and sell it? Why don't you sell it to your friends? That's what I did. That's, that's what made me so entrepreneurial, man. When I was in, like, even in, in, at her age, you know, those Scoobies, you made those bracelets with those little yeah, strings. Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to make them in sporting team colors, right? Dead set. I used to have like a folder of DVDs and go, oh yeah, which movie do you want? I'll go home and I'll burn it and bring it back. I used to sell <laughs> them for $5 cool. a CD. I used to sell the bracelets for $2, right? And I, I sit there and I actually educate her and say, why don't you make something, go to your friends and sell it for $2. And then I'll ask her, say, how long did it take you to make it? Oh, this one took me 10 minutes. And I go, great. How much did you sell it for? $2. Wow. Delilah, that's amazing. 
that means that you were earning $16 an hour. And she goes, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, you're right. And then like she's, she's like, so if I can make, you know, six of these, does that mean I'm now going to make, sorry, sorry, it's $12, not $16 an hour. I told you I'm terrible at maths. But explaining to her, now it's $12 an hour. She's like, oh, can I make $12 every day at school? That's like five ice blocks. Obviously for kids, the reward is smaller. It's more playful. It's not going to be the entrepreneurial, oh yeah, I'm going to buy all these properties and build a business, right? So that's not what the goal is for them. But encouraging them to make, create, sell, and understand the process of everything that took place in between that, so, so important, man. And that's, she, she does. She, she follows me everywhere I go now. And she never used to be like this all the time. It's been the last maybe two years where I've spent a lot more time with her engaging in these things. Do you know what I mean? That's beautiful. I love it how you, you break down the math, like you break down the mechanics of it as opposed to just keeping it at a high level. Because I find that kids actually want to know those details, but they, they don't know how to ask for them. So as parents, if we share that this is this much per hour or this is how many you know units you need to sell to make, then it kind of has a light bulb moment for them. I know it did for me when I was in high school as well in New Zealand. My dad used to work for Ericsson. It was just Ericsson at the time, not Sony Ericsson. Yeah. And he used to get all like the um, the model cell phones. They didn't work. They were just model cell phones. I remember those. But, you know what I mean? And those the flip out ones. And I used to take them um, from his warehouse to school and sell them. They didn't work, but all the kids just like, they felt cool to have like a phone in yeah, their yeah. pocket. You know? Oh, that was me, dude. Everything. I used to run around the school with a bloody, you know, like I used to actually go into the, like the Vodafone stores and, and say, oh, can I have one? Like I really want, and then they, like they'd give you an old model out the back and hand it to exactly, you, man. It was great. Exactly that. And then, like, you know, you'd pray pranks on your on the teacher. You'd, like, bring it out and you'd be like, yeah. get off your phone. It's, like, not a real phone. And I'd, yeah. I'll sell them for, like, two bucks. And at the end, I, similar to your daughter, I'd go buy, like, um, chocolate or buy, like, walk home, get some French fries or a dollar for French fries. It was, yeah. That was, like, the whole thing. And it was, like, when you – the biggest thing for me, and, and this is, like, what made me get into business and gave me that, um, that thirst – for entrepreneurship is when you even just make a dollar, but you realize that to make that dollar, you had to add value to someone's life. And because you added value to their life, that's why they're remunerating you in, in return. Yeah. And so when you realize that you can add value and get paid for that, and time doesn't need to be the currency, that is like the aha moment for, I think, you know, because obviously your podcast all about launch day, about building and starting businesses. I think that everyone should keep that at the center of their mind. If you add enough value to people at a micro level, at a global level, like your wealth is going to be directly correlated to that. And I love that too because, and, and it's great that you brought that up because that was, that was probably one other thing that I neglected to mention is I always ask her, you know, oh, when you did this, how did the person feel when you gave it to them? And then she's mm. like, oh, you know, they're really happy. They were excited. And then I'll say to her, I'll be like, and how did it make you feel? Were you happy that they were happy? And then she, oh yeah, like this is awesome. And she should be motivated by that, that the chase of that dopamine effect of that, that genuine happiness collectively between the people that she is, that are benefiting from what she's doing and how she's benefiting from them. So it was a collective happiness. And I think that's so important. And you can teach that to children as well. PK, we're coming to the end of our interview. Uh, if there's anything that you wanted to sort of leave our audience with, some advice, maybe even a question, you know, what would that be? Oh, geez, put me on the spot. Uh, I think <laughs> like 
I can only speak from my experience, but I think perhaps a lot of your audience and listeners, like I said before, people who are early on in their business or entrepreneurial life cycle, I would say hustle, 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 but don't forget the finer things in life. And that's obviously what we've been talking about because there's been many an entrepreneur who've hustled their way to death, that have hustled their way to riches and have never actually got to that golden pot at the end of the rainbow. They've never actually achieved happiness. So always focus on happiness and let the wealth be one of the vehicles to get there, not the only vehicle. I, I like that and I'll add on to that. Uh, money is an accelerator. If you're depressed and unhappy and you get $30 million in cash one day, it's, you're just going to be even more depressed and unhappy. If you are happy and content with yourself and someone gives you $30 million one day, you're going to be even more happy and content with yourself. So amen to that, brother. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. If anyone wants to reach out to you, PK, where can they find you? Uh, they can just find me on YouTube, Australian Property Mastery with PK, or my podcast, Australian Ma Property Mastery with PK, or my Facebook group with almost 30,000 members now, Australian wow. Property Mastery with PK. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming along. And for all those listening, if you'd like to reach out to PK via email as well, you can always email us at support at launchday.au. We'll forward that on to PK. He, I'm sure he's more than happy to go and reply back to you directly. If you have a question for me, you'd like to get on the show for an interview that's the same email again support at launchday.au we'll see you guys next week 